0: So Amos chapter 3, and the message tonight is on God's discipline for His chosen. God's discipline for His chosen. I want to thank God tonight for His many blessings. Uh, I'm thankful. Sadie he got her shot yesterday and had no side effects. She didn't even feel drowsy or nothing from it, so I thank God for that, because as a parent, that scares you to death. So I thank God that He's, he's blessed us. I thank God that... Um, the doctor told me if, he don't, if I don't hear nothing back from my lupus results, that means that it's contained. It's not in my body. It's just in my skin. I ain't heard nothing, so I'm going to praise him anyways and, and, and just believe that it's good because he said if I don't hear nothing, that means it's good news, and I ain't heard a thing. So I'm thankful for that this evening. God is good to us. We have a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot of trouble in the world, a lot of bad going on around us, but there's a lot of good going on through our Savior Jesus Christ. So we'll start in Amos chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And the Bible says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, we're going to break chapter 3 down to four sections. This fourth section we are seeing here is God's unique relationship. God's unique relationship. We look at verse 3 in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. As God pronounces this word word to the nation of Israel, he's very specific that the word comes from God and that the word is direct revelation from God. Man is not pronouncing judgment. Amos in himself is not pronouncing judgment. If we look at who Amos is, Amos is just a farm boy. He is no uh, Pharisee or no religious elite. He's no fancy well up in, in stature. He's just a farm boy that is pronouncing what God has given him. And he speaks of this as specifically to the children of Israel. Now we look at, the, at chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we've been studying through the book of Amos, and God has pronounced judgments on those outside the family of Israel. And notice he gives them a short, precise judgment. But we are going to see as God judges his own, he gives a severe and a constant judgment. And we can see the same thing today for the church is that when God disciplines, He disciplines the church specifically. Why would God discipline children that are not His children? Because as simple as this, if you are a child of God, you should be coming expecting the discipline of God when you get out of line with God. If you do not experience the discipline of God and you're out of line with God, then you are not God's child. Because the Bible is clear, it says if a father loves his child, he disciplines them. And if we know that God is love and we are his, we must receive the discipline rod when we are in unrepentant sin and outside of the will of God. And he says in verse 2, I have known. That word known, if we look back at the book of Genesis, it says that Adam knew Eve. That means they, they had an intimacy. We see anywhere in the Bible where the word known is used. It talks about intimate relationships. We see when it talks about the judgment seat, that God says, I never knew you, depart from me. It doesn't mean that He don't know who they are. God knows all things, all people, and all times. But it means there is no relationship, no intimacy. When He says, I have known all of all the families of the earth, that means this individual group has a specific relationship with God. If you are here tonight, you are listening to this message, and you are saved and born again, God has known you from out of the whole inhabitants of the earth. You are his child. Your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are not just any common Joe or any common individual. You are a child of the Lord of Lords Lord and the King of Kings. He has a unique relationship with you. I get real, well, I don't want to say tickled, I get kind of almost frustrated when I hear people that don't believe in anything. Now, it's not one of these things, well, maybe they're saved and I'm pronouncing judgment. No, they'll come out and tell you they don't believe in anything. And the minute that so-and-so down the road gets sick, they say, well, I'm praying for you. But yet they don't believe in anything. Well, the question has to be, who are you praying to if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are wasting your very breath calling out because you don't believe in anything. It's a waste of time. But yet the minute the deathbed hits, everybody suddenly is calling out to some deity out there when there is only but one God, but one Jesus. That's it. And if you don't know Him, He is not there when you need Him because you don't have a relationship with Him. Now that's a harsh reality, but that's biblical. It's, it's the same thing you know. God, again, God knows all things and I am thankful. God has grace for the unsaved too because that's what keeps us alive till we get saved. If God didn't have grace for the unsaved, we would die the moment we sin. Because we see when Adam sinned the Garden of Eden, God would have been just in squishing him and killing him the moment he went against God. But because our God is a God of grace, He keeps us alive and holds us in His hand until the moment of salvation. He is the only thing keeping us from falling into the pits of hell is the grace of God when we are unsaved. I think of many times that I was in car wrecks when I was lost, many times that that I could have been killed going up and down the road when I was unsaved and I would have died and went instantly into hell. But the grace of God kept me alive until I came to a moment of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if that ain't grace, I don't know what grace is. Now, it wasn't wasn't saving grace, but it was grace. So yes, there are things that God does for the unsaved, but there is no relationship, there is no access to that throne room of God. The only way a man can have access to the throne room of God is through that mediator, which is Jesus Christ. When we have access to the mediator Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room of God, whether we are flat on our back or on the mountaintop, God hears our prayers. Because we are His children. You all can vouch for this that has kids and grandkids. For some reason, I don't know what it is. And I believe God gives it to us in His own way. But when you have a child, and that child can be three rooms over, and you have every noise in the world, that kid cries out, you hear it. I don't know. There's many times I've been deep, deep, deep asleep with my babies when we lived in chapel, on trains rolling by and everything else. But when that baby cried Instantly, we awoke and leaped out of bed because your child's crying out for you. Where God is the same way. When we cry out to our God, we are His children, and because we are His children, we instantly have His attention, and He hears our pleas and Hears our cries. I, I, I've, I've talked to people and counseled people who's in bad places sometimes. I'll so say, I don't feel like my prayers get above the ceiling. But the reality is, because of our unique relationship with God, we may feel that way, but it's not about feelings. As a TV show, a movie, me and Mandy is watching on the Hallmark Channel the other night, and the, the big thing was, it said, well, follow your heart, follow your heart. And I looked at Mandy, and it was probably maybe, uh, I may have ruined the movie, but I said, that's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard in my life, because the heart is deceptive. Above all things, never follow your heart, never follow your feelings. Your feelings can be all kinds of crazy things. Follow the Word, follow God. If we are His children, and we follow Him, we seek Him. That's what we need to follow. Listen, we have a unique relationship. Just as Israel has a unique relationship, we have a unique relationship with God. We are part of this family of God. And regardless whether you attend the Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church or the Hoover Church or the Cold Branch Church or the Mount Home Church, regardless of what church you attend, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we are all a part of the same family of God. And we're all going to go to heaven together someday. Let's look down at verse 3. Verse 3, we see what can happen to people with a unique relationship. Verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have not taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? At hey, verse 1 and 2 is God's unique relationship. Verses 3 through 5 or sorry, verses 3 through 6 is God's inevitable judgment. Now, as we've been studying in Sundays, when I love when God knits our lessons together cuz I don't ever plan that. I'm not smart enough to do that, but God does that from time to time. When we look at our Sunday school lessons where we talked about how even though someone is saved and born again, it does not give them a go, a get out of go card when you can sin all you want. You will still face the judgment of God if you fall into a sinful state, even as a believer in Jesus Christ. And we see this here at the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has sinned against God. And their unique relationship with God. And they are going to face the inevitable judgment of God because they are refusing to repent of their sins and turn back to God. It mentions here, it talks about a lion roaring in the forest when he hath no prey. Sin and judgment brings about the roar of Almighty God. Because of the, the sin of mankind, we see the roar of an angry, wrathful, vengeful God upon His people. His people who has He has revealed Himself to. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you are saved and born again, God has revealed Himself to you through the teaching and the preaching of the Word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're unsaved, you have never had that done because the Holy Spirit does not reside within an unbeliever. The Holy Spirit resides in a man that is born again. The Word and God Himself cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit indwells the person. When the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, we see God for who He really is. Because God had called out Israel, because He had known Israel, as we see in verse 2, they knew God, they knew the ways of God, God had revealed Himself to Him, but they still went against Him. They willfully rebelled. We see in verse 5 that it talks about a bird falling into a a snare. It talks about a gin. Gin is bait at the bottom of a snare that causes a a bird to get his neck stuck in it. Well, I don't know about you, but if you realize there's a lot of sin that is snaring people today. Even church people are getting snared by Things like pornography and alcoholism and drug abuse and adultery and we can greed and hate and anger. And we can go on and on and on and on about the different things that the world is trying to entice people with and make them think that they can have one foot in the world and one foot with God and that is not the way God has called the church to live. We are to be separate, to be set apart. Jesus said, be ye holy for I am holy. That means to be set apart and devoted unto God. If I'm doing things that the world approves of and God does not approve of, I should expect to face the inevitable judgment of a holy and righteous God, and I deserve whatever I get along the way. We must be sure as Christians that we're living in a place of repentance and not living in a place that is allowing that sin to let us reach out and to get us. I don't know if you've ever worked or counseled someone battling addiction or talked to someone battling addiction. We've got a lot of teenagers right now battling addiction. Um, I, I've, I've talked to kids that, that at the, by the time they're out of middle school, they are already got ankle braces on, they're on calm confinement. You can look into their eyes and see that they are snared because they are so wrapped up in the dope and the drugs and different things that have got them. And it started real simple. And they they make these TV shows about it. And we used to laugh at it and think that's not how it really works, but it is. They'll go to a party and they'll start doing the other thing. Well, you know, one time, two times, four times. Next, you know, they're they're stealing stuff, and it's a downward spiral that takes place. But the sin seems so simple and tempting and harmless until they reach and grab it. It's the same thing with our young people and and, and adultery and things like that. Fornication, they see someone, just like David. We talk about David all the time. I talk about David all the time. When he saw Bathsheba, he just looked upon her it seemed so simple, so innocent. Just a glance, it can't hurt anything. And next thing you know, she's got a dead husband and they have an illegitimate child. All because they allowed that sin to snare them. And then the inevitable judgment of God came and the child was taken away. Let me tell you something. Just as the trumpet sounds in verse 6 and is blown and God pours out His justice upon the people, God will pour His justice out on the person who rejects the ways of God and takes on the ways of the world. We must realize there is but one way that is right and that is God's way. It's the only way. It don't matter what culture or society says is acceptable. It doesn't make it okay. And, And I believe we're getting to a point in time in our nation and in the whole world where the church is almost uh, going to have to accept the fact, kind of like the Amish people. I always thought the Amish P was interesting. Because a lot of what they do, they do trying to be more biblical. People think, well, they're just isolating themselves. But they're trying to protect themselves is what the, really their goal is, to follow what they believe. And it's almost to the point that the church is going to do the same thing because the world is so ate up with all kinds of wickedness and false teachings and false doctrines that if we don't take our people and set ourselves aside and teach our children the right ways, teach them the, what the Bible says and teach them the ways of God, the world is going to teach them all kinds of falsehoods. And before they ever get an age of a teenager, they've already ripped them away. Let me tell you something. If we allow ourselves, our families, our homes, our churches to get into that state, judgment will come. God is no respecter of persons. He don't care who you are. He don't care. Uh, You may have sung in the choir for 40 years. If you allow yourself to get into an unrepentant state of sin, He is going to get your attention. He's going to discipline you. And He's going to shake you up to get you back where you need to be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to experience a disciplined rod of God. I'm thankful when He does discipline me, but I want, to, I want to repent. I want to turn. I don't want a harsh penalty for my sin. But God's... God's unique relationship with His people gives us an inevitable judgment if we refuse to repent. Let's look at verse 7-10. through The Word says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servant, the prophets. The lion hath roared who will not fear. The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces at Ashdod, in the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, say the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. We saw God's unique relationship and God's inevitable judgment. Now we see God's unique oppression. The people of Israel have made themselves wealthy, stealing from the poor. They could care less about their fellow man. It's all about me, me, me. I don't know if you've been around society much, but that's pretty much where we're at again. It's all about me, me, me. Doesn't matter who I hurt. Doesn't matter what damage I do. long as I am satisfied and I am wealthy, could care less what happens. But this is what is angering God. And God is warning that these great palaces they have constructed, these great things they have construed, He is going to come crumbling down on the society of Israel because they do not appreciate and do not worship God and give Him the glory and use it for Him. Listen, you can. there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having possessions and money. But if all we do is store it up, if all we do is use it for me, 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 and not handle it the way God has used us to handle it and to bless others and to glorify God with, we are going to see ourselves become greedy, and greed is a sin, and God will punish. If we take we put things above God, I'm a firm believer God will remove those things. I warn kids this all the time with boyfriends and girlfriends. So you better watch. If you're hanging with staying out of church, because the boyfriend or girlfriend, you're going to lose them more than likely. You better get back in church and bring them with you. Same thing with our possessions. Ain't nothing wrong with enjoying the four-wheeler, the boat, or the, the whatever you got out there that you enjoy for a hobby. If that hobby becomes a distraction from God, God can remove that from your life and remove the joy you receive from it. We need to make sure that God stays the center point of our lives. That God stays number 1 in our lives. We don't become like the people of Egypt, and the people of Israel and enrage God because we are neglecting our duties as Christians because we've become so puffed up in our material possessions. A lot of times people feel because they have a lot of stuff, they just don't need God. They just don't see the reason to call out to God. That's why, in a way, I'm kind of glad I don't have no more than I did because I know I need God. He's got me in a position where I turn to Him quite often. but And I never learned really how to pray hard until I had my children. The first time a child, a baby breaks a fever, has a fever, you learn how to really pray, I feel. Whether it's your niece, nephew, or whatever, when that, that child gets a fever that you're close to, you learn how to pray because you know you need god to break that fever because they can't take much medicine you you have to have god and it's the same thing for those that came before us our ancestors that farmed to find ways to live they had to pray they had to seek god to have crop to live to survive if it didn't grow there was no walmart to go to but we're so abundantly blessed in america today and we've got so much and have it so good we don't turn to god like we ought to we forsake Him and we try to do it all on ourselves or try to work for it. And ain't, we should work for it. Bible says earn a living by the sweat of our brow, but realize where the money comes from, that it comes from God. Realize the job comes from God. You now there's people in the world today that barely has enough to get by on and, and I got food I throw away every day. We need to thank God that we have so much and we are so blessed. If not, we'll be like Israel, and he can bring us to a place of oppression. We talk about in our country today. The economy's rocked. Things are so expensive, can't hardly survive. I don't know if you looked at prophecy, but this is all said was going to come to happen. It's going to happen. And it's going to get worse when the tribulation comes to pass. It's one of the things, the sign of the times, is this the old saying goes. But realize part of the reason may be that we don't know who to thank for what we do have. We've had it so good for so long. I tell my kids now, I have in class, it's hard to believe the 90s were like 30 years ago. That's mind-blowing at my point in time. But I think 30 years ago was the 70s. But 30 years ago in the 90s, I said, we, we didn't really have no struggles. didn't really have a whole lot to worry about. Things were pretty peaceful and things are pretty good. And the longer we go along, the more problems we've got. It may be because the further we go along, the further from God we get. We don't ask ourselves... Is God okay with this? Before we adopt different things in and make certain things acceptable. Even in the school setting. I've taught public school 11 years. When we advise something to teach, I guarantee no one ever asks, is this biblical? No one ever asks, does this teach God's way? Or does this teach something contrary to the ways of God? i tell you how I know because I've never picked up a history book that has the biblical account of creation in it. I've never picked up a history book that has God's timeline for the age of the world. There's not in there. That's a problem. The fact that our country has made these newfangled whatever ways of teaching the way the world came to be is directly rejecting God. And wonder why God's not blessing like he once did. Folks, if we don't do it God's way, God is not going to come to our way. we got to come to His way. Let's look at verse 11. We see God's unique relationship, God's inevitable judgment, and God's unique oppression. In verse 11 we see, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be. Even round about the land, he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the, m- the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus, in a couch. Hear ye, and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts. And that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house and the summer house and the house of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall end, saith the Lord. The fourth thing we see is God's catastrophe. And you don't know what a catastrophe is, that's not a word we use very often, where it means destruction. God's destruction. Israel was wealthy, they were mighty, and they were very puffed up in themselves. That's why you see these houses mentioned in verse 15. They had a winter house. And I don't know about you. I ain't got no winter house somewhere. I got one place I live. That's all I got. And I thank God for it. They had a winter house and a summer house. Not only that, Their houses are made of ivory, which is a very expensive item to build your house with. So they are extremely wealthy and they made their money out of the oppression and the abuse of the poor. That's the first fault they got. The second fault they got is they're worshipping false gods. That's why this altar is mentioned here. The altars of Bethel and they feel like because they've got this thing then they can just take the god of the bible out of the equation well god has had enough god tells them first off he's going to tear their palaces down you know what that means kings and queens are getting crushed we often think that our leader is the most powerful thing in the world we're wrong god's the most powerful thing i don't care who the president is the king is the queen is the dictator is, or whoever else is, when God feels like knocking them down and destroying them, God can do so like that. God breathed this world into existence by the Word. He's going to bring into judgment by His Word, and He can take any of us out when He chooses to. If people get unruly and disobedient, He can crush an empire. Look at the nation of Rome. Rome was the most powerful nation in the world. They, they ruled most of the modern world at the time. And now it's in ruins. There's nothing really there to brag about at this point. What happened? They fell into sin. They disobeyed God. They, they turned from God. Brought in all kinds of horrible uh, practices and false gods, and God struck them down. God warned. He's going to strike down Israel. He can strike down us as well if we don't repent and turn to Him. But we see in verse 12 the grace of God in this judgment because we see a small remnant of Israel will be save let's look at our, our world today this world there used to be no song this world can't stand long be ready can't wait too late that's fact this world is not there's nothing we can do to save it i get real tickled when you see people go we're going to do this and save the planet do that and save the planet well when god comes down he puts fire on this earth ain't no one going to save this planet it's gone And all those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, all those who have rejected God, are going to be gone with it and be gone to the lake of fire for eternity. Nothing can be done to say that, but there will be a remnant. The church will go on to be with God and live forever in His presence on a new heaven, a new earth. That is for that remnant. You know what that means? That means a minor amount. There's going to be a lot more in hell than there is in heaven. Now that's that's heartbreaking. That really is heartbreaking to think that this free gift of salvation has been offered here. It's been purchased by Jesus Christ. God has offered it and you would do nothing but take it by faith. And yet people are saying, I don't want that free gift. I'm going to choose hell. But people do it every single day. People die lost I've quoted the census record so many times but it just really, it, it's been burned in my head. And it's been about 10 years since I looked at it. But 10 years ago, looking at the census records, 67% of Lincoln County cho- claimed no religion. That means they, they don't mean they were Baptist. It means they don't claim nothing. They don't believe in anything. It doesn't even mean that they believe and don't go to church. That means they flat out do not believe. As over half of Lincoln County, one of the most rural, most churched areas in our state, has that many unsaved people bound for hell. And there's a church every quarter mile that says something. Something is, is missing there. But we know the remnant, those of us that are born again will go on to be with God. But as we say it, be watchful, because while we are here on earth, we must live a life pleasing unto Him. We see in verse 14 what happens for those that worship these false idols. And as we've said before, you have studied false idols quite a while now. False idols it doesn't mean just Baal. It doesn't mean just these false gods. It means uh, ball, which in my opinion is the greatest false idol in Logan County. Is the ball field. Uh, and ain't nothing wrong with ball. I love sports. I watch football. I watch basketball. I watch baseball. I watch it all. But also know when to turn it off and show up to God's house as well. And, and I know people who say, I can't go because the ball game's on, NASCAR's on. With the age of technology, we can DVR that thing. We can record that thing. God, Listen, God's given us a way to watch it even after time. But people still don't want to come out because they got things to worship. Whether it be sports, whether it be the boat, the hunting, the, the fishing, the, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the whatever it is they do. Sometimes it's just work but those things become idols. Notice that God destroys the altar. He cuts the horns off. And horns in the Bible represent power. God wants Israel to know this false God is powerless. Where is the ball team going to be when you're on your hospital bed? Can't call on them. What are they going to do for you? Score an extra three-pointer? That's a waste of time. You're dying. When you getting ready to have your funeral if you want to have your coach preach it some people will because they've never aligned with the church they don't even know a pastor do you know that I've been called more than the people who call me to do services for them nine times out of ten I have never met before it's just they don't know any other pastors but they've heard of me so they find my number somewhere and they call me and if I can help them I try to I don't reject them unless I have to for biblical reasons. If it's a wedding that is unbiblical, I won't do it. If I can help them, I try to help them. But it's sad that there's a state we're in that we are putting all these things as priorities and God is the bottom level. Folks, God should be number one. It's good to enjoy the blessings, God. I, I Listen, I said this morning, I've enjoyed today so much. i enjoy enjoyed this weekend so much. I enjoy my kids. They're a blessing uh, to get to spend time outside and enjoy. I, I love the fall. A lot of people don't like cold weather. I love that cold breeze. To me, it just wakes me up, makes me feel good. I love it. But I know, at the end of the day, God must come for a priority. I love sitting home with Mandy and watching Hallmark Christmas movies and all this other time of year offers. But I have to make time for this. If I'm doing everything else, listen, there's no power in that. Why, if I make God the bottom thing for me, if I spend less time with Him than I do anything else, why should I expect Him to be there when I need Him? I mean, when someone's sick, they all run. Everybody wants to run to Jesus. So-and-so's sick, so-and-so's dying, we've got to run to Jesus. But they're not praying at home when things are good. They're not reading their Bible at home when things are good. We live in a day and time when this book right here is found in almost every language known to man. I got one on my, I got one, I actually got two on my phone. Technically, I got one and one of the commentary I got it on my computer. I got it on an audio thing in my car. I can, I literally sometimes when I don't have time to read as much as I'd like to, I hit play and let it read to me while I drive. Like the access to God's Word is so much easier than any time in human history, yet it is absorbed and consumed less. And when it comes to praying, we have made ourselves so busy with things that we neglect praying more than anything. It's the easiest thing to do. Listen, you can do it with your eyes closed, eyes open, kneeling, laying, sitting, whatever. Whatever silently, you can do it any way you want. And yet, I think sometimes we should time ourselves to see how long we actually spend in prayer every day. I think we'd be ashamed. Because if we recognize how little we pray, but how long we watch TV, how long we stay on the phone and gossip, how long we're on the computer, how long we're, we're doing everything in the world, but we're not spending time talking to God. And God is the easiest person to approach. He don't have off and on hours. He's, he's available 24-7. You don't have to know his number. He's just there. Folks, we got to do more of it. We have to realize, because if we don't, Israel found catastrophe. Let me tell you something about catastrophe. Catastrophe can happen at your home. You know, homes fall apart. It's, it's heartbreaking, but it happens. Homes can absolutely fall apart. Because they've abandoned God. Marriages can fall apart because one or the other has abandoned God. Businesses, work sites can fall apart because they've abandoned God. Churches can fall apart because they abandon God. And here's the thing about the church. You may say, well, we're doing good. We're here. We're we're, we're doing things we're supposed to do. That's right. We are here. But many aren't. Many aren't doing what they should do. And a church is only as strong sometimes as its well, it's only strong ever as its members are. The stronger our members are, the stronger our church is. We need to strengthen, just as we as we physically try to be physically strong, we need to be spiritually strong, spiritually united, spiritually moving forward, spiritually dodging catastrophe, because we're making God number one in each every one of our lives. I'll say this as we get ready to close. There was a story one time about an old pastor told about revival. He said, if you want revival, the best way to do it is to get in a spot, get a piece of chalk, draw a circle around you, and pray for revival to start in the center of that circle. Because we think of the church being the Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. But we don't think of the church as made up of every individual member which makes up every piece of the church. The true way to find spiritual strength is to start right here. Look inside you because here's the thing, I can't really I can preach to you, I can pray for you, I can but I can't really do nothing for you actually outside of that. You got to do the rest. But what I can do is I can impact right here. I can pray more. I can make a decision to read more. I can make a decision to do more. And if I make that decision, you make the decision, you make the decision, everyone else makes that decision, God can do awesome things by the move that people have a mind that says, you know what? Me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Don't matter what my neighbor does, don't matter what sister or brother so and so does, I'm me and my house, we're gonna do, we're gonna do what the Bible says, we're gonna serve God. You know, that starts to ripple starts to impact those around you. People start seeing, man, they're on fire. I want some of that. And they show they're starting to do better. And then it just keeps on spreading. I want to encourage you this night to make that decision. Don't be like Israel. You have a unique relationship with God. You're a believer in Him. Don't forsake that. Don't forsake so great a salvation. Don't neglect it strengthen it. Work out thy salvation with fear and trembling that you may be strengthened spiritually to win souls for the kingdom of God. That this, that this community can be brought to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're listening tonight and you've never made that decision for Christ, let me tell you something. You have the opportunity to have that same unique relationship. Because the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ and the beautiful thing about the story of the gospel is, it is for all whoever believes. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It goes out to everyone. That free gift is offered to everyone. He died. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We just have to accept that free gift on faith. Knowing He died for you, He paid the price. You can be saved. Call out to God in prayer and faith, believing, knowing that Jesus died for you, and ask Him to save you. For so the Bible says in the Book of Romans, chapter ten, "For whosoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved." He's just a moment away, a voice away, a breath away, waiting to hear that cry of salvation. Let's turn to page two thirty-eight. Do you know my Jesus? If you don't, we encourage you to call out to Him tonight. Ask Him to save you and start your relationship with Him tonight. We'll sing the first and the third verse on 238. If you have a need to pray, we encourage you to come. We'd love to pray with you this evening.